What is up? What is going on, everybody? This week, we are headed home. We're going to get uncomfortable while we do it. And we'll do it on the other side of the song. Welcome back, everyone, to another new episode of The Threequel. As always, I'm one of your three co-hosts. Ethan Klein here with me, Mike Duranik and Brad Miller. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Well, because of the audible that you spoke of last episode, I am doing extremely well because I'm very excited to talk about this movie. So, um, yeah, doing great. Yeah, I am doing I'm glad to be here with you guys. And, uh, yeah, again, well, not wanting to disparage the movie that got pushed to the bench, One never knows. Maybe in September 2023, it'll come back around again. But uh, I'm glad that we made this decision. I'm glad to be talking this movie with you guys. Yes, this week we are talking This Is Where I Leave You. Um, Comedy, drama, dark comedy, different ways you could describe this. Uh, Jason Bateman is the lead with a whole host of characters that we're going to get into. So many famous people pop up in this movie. Uh, let's get right into it, guys. Uh, the question that I always ask, what was your first experience with this film? I'd be shocked if it was in the theaters in 2014, but it could be. Um, and whatever it was, what did you bring into this rewatch? And if it happened to be your first viewing, Mike, I'm not sure it might have been. What did you know about this? Did you know anything about this prior to hitting play for this week's episode? Uh, my first experience was a, I believe, a stream in the in the living room. Um, I might have been even with you, Ethan. I can't remember if you watched it with me or not, um, but really loved it then, and I probably love it even more now. So, um, seen it a few times, maybe five. So not not like rounders, um, but haven't had as many years. Maybe when it's twenty five years old, I will have watched it that many times so um yeah great film so for my first time uh, my first time was literally the first time uh, just a couple days ago right when brad sent this through and i knew nothing about it to the point where normally i can tell you that when you guys throw out a movie that i don't know anything about i at least know an actor or a genre or I can tell you when I sat down to watch this movie, I had no earthly idea who was in it. I knew nothing about it. And I had entirely the wrong idea of what type of movie this, uh, this was going to be. I thought it was going to be a drama and, you know, kind of like dark and about loss and stuff like that. And so when I pulled it up and saw comedy, I was like, huh, that's not at all what I was expecting, but I'm here for it. And so Uh, more so than I think any movie we've watched, I went into this with no expectations and no idea what I was getting into. Uh, So Brad, you and I did not watch this together uh, as a stream because this is also the first time that I have seen this movie. Hmm. Um, I knew that you enjoyed it. I knew it when you texted us the other day, I remembered like, yeah, I know Brad's talked about that. I remembered seeing the previews for it. But much like Mike, this is about as blind as I've walked into a movie that we've done on this podcast. I knew Jason Bate was in it. I had no idea the other cast of characters in this movie. And I knew that it was about a family member dying. 
but the rest of the shenanigans, I had no clue. And let me say this, Brad, before before we get into this, you you accused me last week of maybe forcing myself to dislike something just to, just on the off chance that everyone would agree. And let me just set the record straight tonight as we start this podcast. I think this is the best movie you've ever suggested that I watch. Uh, I loved every single second of the hour and 43 minutes that I got to spend watching this movie. And I thank you, sir. Well, you're welcome. And I also kind of expected that because uh, as you will hear my thoughts on this movie and and where it's ranked and, and, and especially over the few times I've seen it, um, it begs the question of what was your lazy butt doing when you made this list that this thing never got put on there to begin with? Because I was like, I just happened to think like, I want to see this. What month did it come out? And I was like, oh my God, it's September. What the heck is Ethan doing with our choices here? Because yeah. we were looking at this list thinking like, how are we going to scrounge together five movies in this month? And even Mike was doing you know, Google searches to find some September movies to add. So uh, I, I, it does call into question your list-making ability. Um, but I guess if we have some other suggestions, we can help you out um, to not put all the pressure on you. So, yeah, that's kind of where I've come down is I, I could critique you, Ethan, or I could say, <laughs> hey, there's three of us on this. And it probably wouldn't kill Brad or I to occasionally pull out the old phone and say, uh, dear Google, help us to know what movies came out this month in the history of movies and then go from there. So um, touche, touche. But Brad, I'm glad that uh, glad you pulled the phone out and took a look at this one. Well, now that my ego is bruised, let's uh, and before we talk too much about this movie, I want to play the Rotten Tomatoes game so we can get into this correctly. Um, I did win the Rotten Tomatoes game last week uh, against Brad with Rounders, so I get to guess first. Mike will get the opportunity to do what he always does. Uh, now the pressure's on because I'm facing, you know, I'm, I'm facing off against Mike. This is tough because this is not unlike last week. Um, not that this has, I mean, it's this one's not nearly old enough to say that it has a cult following. But I will tell you, I think the reason I did not see this is because I heard nothing about it in terms of, look, people suggest movies to me all the time. People know that I'm a movie guy. Like, I get movies suggested to me left, right, and center. It takes usually more than one for me to remember it, especially with we're doing movies for this podcast. There's new movies coming out that I'm reviewing on TikTok. There's all this stuff like it, it, it takes a couple to get in there. I can honestly say, and this is not OK that this is true. Brad's the one person that has suggested this movie to me in the eight years since it came out. So that leads me to be in kind of that rounder zone. So I'm going to sadly, for the sake of the game, say 65 because I want Mike to have to play the game because I'm t- there's no way that this thing was up in the 80s and 90s. That, that's not it. But Mike, was it upper 60s, 70s, or God forbid, was this thing even rotten? I want you to have to decide. Well, crap. Um. I had forgotten that you were going first. And in my mind, I was, I was doing a bunch of like visual taunting of you. Cause I thought I was going to put a tough call on you. Um, and uh, 
All right. Well, so here's here's the logic because dead space doesn't make for good recording. Uh, I was also thinking something uh, similar. I was thinking uh, mid to upper 60s, and I was going to probably try to make you take the the over or the under. But you just made some really good points. And probably the best point that you just made, Ethan, really simply, is that nobody had recommended this to you before Brad did. And so for that reason and that reason alone, I'm going to say if Rounders is a 64, then this is probably in that range as well. And you left me 64 and under, so I will take the 64 and see what happens. Um, And let's go. So, Brad, what do you got for us? Um. What I have for you is that I will never, ever, ever trust a Rotten Tomatoes site after looking at the score for this movie. Um, They have it at Rotten, and not barely at Rotten either. Um, It's a 44. Uh, So, Mike, you win the game, but Rotten Tomatoes uh, freaking sucks. What? And... Yeah, it's a 44, and the audience scores a 58, so or 59. So I don't uh, really understand why, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely wrong. So I'm going to answer that before you ever even uh, ask the question. You said 44? 44, yes. And you said the audience was a 50? 50? 59. 59, so even the audience was rotten. Well, I spent last week trying to defend this trash ass website but let's have a conversation that's ridiculous yeah there's no way i this this movie is fantastic i let, let's just dive into it like fuck rotten tomatoes there it is this is an r-rated movie i can say that the, you know who you know who owns rotten tomatoes pappy freaking drew probably pappy pappy reared his head again <laughs> i'm trying to find the the box office i'm sure nobody saw it Nineteen well, million to make I, it forty-one to forty. You were going, you were going hard in the paint there, and I stepped on your toes. Please continue to go hard in the paint. Well, I'm th- this movie. Maybe you know what critics? I think critics just don't understand this genre because you know what this movie reminded me of, Brad. Mike, I don't know if you've seen this one yet, but I know Brad, you and I have a love for this, and I'd be. This movie so much reminded me of the Judge. It's not a courtroom drama, but this movie so much reminded me of the Judge, and I love the dynamic of the people in that movie. And, and here they are again in this movie. The characters in this feel so real. There's a point in this movie, I hope I'm not stealing anyone's favorite line, where, you know, Jason Bateman says, like, is it just our family or, or is it everyone? Like, there's not a single adult in this family that's happy. The only kid, that, the only person that's happy is the kid that can shit and piss in his little potty that he carries around. Like, that was such a real moment. Like, this is not a movie set in a fictional far off world that, you hope you're never a part of or hope that you're due a part of like this is real life this stuff happens people's marriages fall apart people's families grow apart people don't know how to be around each other like this movie felt so lived in and felt so real you know even romantic i'm a sucker for romantic comedies you put on some trashy one i'll love every second of it that shit's not real 90 percent of the stuff they do in romantic comedies is creepy if you really do it in the real world, you're probably going to get a restraining order for being a stalker. Like the, even the romantic sides of this movie. I mean, his brother's wife, he might want to throw a restraining order against her for trying to be half naked in his bed. But like, I don't know. It just, it felt so lived in and something that I just enjoyed so much. I want you guys to hop into because that is baffling to me how people can just straight up say like, no, this movie sucks. Skip it. Don't be a part of this. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll make it a, a clean sweep. I think Rotten Tomatoes are is way off. And so I had a different movie that popped into my head, another movie that I've only seen once and a movie that I, I've only seen because of this podcast. And they're not the same movie, but I think it's a similar type of feel to like a man real life and laughing at the absurdities of real life. And that was Crazy Stupid Love. Yeah, um, also that, yep. And as I was watching this, I was like, man, I'm enjoying this. I actually ended up ranking this a little higher than Crazy Stupid Love. But um, because as I looked at my list, I was like, "Ah, I have it a little bit better. But um, Crazy Stupid Love, I just looked up as a 79. And so how Crazy Stupid Love could be a 79 and this a 44, I really don't understand that. Because to me, they're punching in a similar weight class. And I don't know what it was that the critics didn't see in this. but how one of those could be, again, a 79 and the other a 44, that to me is proof that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. They're wrong with one of the two because there can't be a 35 critic disparity between those two movies. Yeah, I mean, for me, I know that when we watch these things, sometimes it's hard to tell, like, you know, what lens am I watching this through? But uh, I don't even remember how I stumbled across this. Um several years ago when I saw it for the first time, I think it was right around the same time, Ethan, that I did see the judge. Um, so, you know, I was kind of maybe into that style of movie at the time. I'm, I'm not sure, but like, this is one of those that like, if it's on, I'm watching it. I will sit down and watch the entire thing. And I probably watch it once or twice a year and love it more and more each time. There's just nothing in it for me that, that misses. Um, I, I love the complexity of the real life stuff. I love the humor with the, um, you know, the priest they call boner. And I just, you know, even down to the fact of like, you know, with, with Jane Fonda in that role and, and where her life is, is going and has been over the past, you know, 30 some 40 some odd years of raising these kids. Like, it's just fantastic. And um, I mean, for me, where I have it ranked and we can get into some of that in a little bit. Like, I mean, this number should have been in the mid nineties in my opinion, uh, simply because I just, I just don't see where it misses. Um, I I really, really don't. I think that I I noticed as I was watching it, I think it sprinkles in a lot of um, corny movies that reminded me of in a lot of ways. There's a lot of uh, there's, you know, that uh, old school, um, feel to it with uh with what the uh oh i forget the guy's name the wilson brother what he goes through there's a little bit of uh along came polly there's a little bit of uh meet the fockers there's a little bit of like all of these like maybe like mid-2000s comedy movies that did this movie in a similar way and sprinkled some of that stuff in but this just this movie just did it better and it didn't have to do it in an over-the-top funny way um, and it was the reality of the whole thing with the real life stuff sprinkled in and the comedy sprinkled in that just makes it perfect. Um, and yeah, like, it, I, I don't know, there's, there's memorable scenes, there's memorable lines. Um, and to me, this is insanely rewatchable. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you guys are on similar, similar thought pattern as me, um, in your opinion of this movie. Yeah, I could see myself rewatching this, Brad, uh, for sure. Um, probably the highest endorsement I can can give is 
my wife asked me to turn it off the other night and finally like rolled over and forced herself to go to sleep because she was tired and was enjoying it too much. And we don't often have that in a movie where the three of us are all enjoying it. And then Jenny comes in off the top rope and is like, this is hilarious. It's exactly my type of movie, but I'm tired. Why are you making me watch this uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing? And, you know, you said something there. I think it does have some of those comedy tropes, but it makes it more real. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel the need to play the absurdity. I thought a lot about this because this movie really resonated with me in terms of like, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. It was one I did not know walking in. And I will tell you, I think it was a hair too long. And as we often debate, I actually know exactly the plot line I would kill in this. And so in this discussion of where could the critics be right? I think that as much as I love her and I really do, Connie Britton's character did not add much to it and everything that they wanted to do with Adam Driver's character in terms of his immaturity, his need to grow up, his role could have been done without adding that character in and it would have made the plot lines a little less incoherent through some of those middle parts. But that was it. That was the part I came up with with my critique. I didn't hate her role in it. I'm not screaming like she was terrible. I thought she was great. That would have been the part that I would have cut to save a little time and tighten the movie up a little bit. Whether or not I agree with you, I'm actually contractually obligated to never speak ill of uh, Miss Tammy Taylor. So I yeah, cannot. Mrs. I apologize, Mrs. Coach. Yeah, I cannot confirm nor deny my opinion on that. But um, I, I even that, like her, her and Jason Bateman had some great, had a couple great scenes together. That conversation on the porch again—it's one of those mm-hmm. moments that I don't—I don't disagree with you. Um, I mean, you know, I think you know them them deciding to have Adam Driver cheat on her. Like, really, did his character grow at all? No, probably not. Um, and I think they even kind of acknowledge that at the end of the movie when they say that you know that they're going to let him into the family business, knowing that it's probably not going to be successful. Right? Maybe that's the point. Uh, that some people don't change and you just kind of have to accept it and you react to it as best you can. Um, But I I don't necessarily disagree with you while still showing my love to um, Mrs. Coach Taylor. Well, and even as I was making the point, you guys heard me put all kinds of caveats with it because again, she did a great job. It wasn't bad. The movie just felt a little long to me for this type of a movie. But then again, I enjoyed it and I ended it um very you know happy that i watched it and and again walking away saying i i would watch it again uh let's talk i mean so as you mentioned you mentioned connie Britton. she is one of these many characters i mean this thing is just loaded I'm, let me just run through what we have here on imdb i mean jason bateman obviously tina fey jane fonda adam driver rose byrne Corey stoll katherine hahn connie Britton, timothy oliphant dax shepherd and then you even get into people who, you know, a guy like Ben Schwartz, no one knew who he was back then. He's becoming a bigger and bigger star with stuff like Sonic popping off and, he, you know, really got going on uh, Parks and Rec. This movie's loaded. And that was the biggest surprise. Like when that funeral scene, I was like, oh, my God, all of these people in it. I love her. I love him. I love her. I love I love Jane Fonda. And she's been in stuff for much longer than I've been alive. But I've always been a fan of her. She cracks me up so much. She's in the newsroom, which is one of my favorite shows an Aaron Sorkin show. She's fantastic in that Adam driver, you know, has blown up with star Wars, but this is even prior to that. Always been a fan of Rose Byrne. Corey Stoll's fantastic. And Timothy Oliphant 
Brad, that's what you needed. That was your miss. If you would have, you know, years ago, if you would have said, hey, guess what? Raylan freaking Givens is in a movie. I'd have had it finished. I'd have had the movie watched and finished before you finished the sentence. So you missed, you missed the lead. You buried the lead. And he's fantastic in this. The couple scenes that he gets. And I think that's what's so amazing. I think if I'm going to say, like, what makes this movie great? If I'm going to put it into one thing, it is the fact that there are so many characters in this movie that only get two scenes that steal the show up until the next person gets their couple scenes. Because Timothy Oliphant's fantastic in his couple scenes, especially that scene with the wrench in the backyard with him and Tina Fey. I, I have never accused Tina Fey of being a fantastic dramatic actress. That scene is heartbreaking uh, to no end. And I think that, you know, they do that. I think, you know, even whether or not Connie Britton's storyline pays off one way or another, that scene with her and Jason Bateman on the porch is fantastic between the two of them. Um, the scene, you know, the hospital scene, we we are supposed to hate Jason Bateman's ex-wife. She's a terrible person. That's very dramatic. That's very emotional. It's very heartbreaking. Watching her in that much pain, saying that she deserves to lose a baby because she thinks she's a terrible person. Like, the stuff that they chose to put in this and the moments that they do resonated time and again. And I didn't have a miss. I don't know if there's anybody that stood out and you're, you guys were like, they were absolutely the MVP. I don't know if I could pick one if I had to because well, of how great everyone was. I don't think you could pick an MVP. I will say that I walked away from this. I mean, just really loving Adam driver's character uh, and Adam driver's performance. And I think to me, well, I would definitely not say he's the MVP. He stole the show for me because he took what was happening in the scenes that he came into and took it to another level. Like the scenes were good. They were clicking along and then you injected him into it. And it was, I mean, it was set from the moment that he peels into the funeral, right? Um, you inject him into those scenes and all of a sudden it's just like, it's like in Fast and the Furious hitting, hitting the button, right? Hitting the button, and you're just like off. And that's what Adam Driver did for me repeatedly in these scenes uh, and I, I was just extremely impressed uh, with him. But can I say he's the MVP? No, this this was an exceptional, um, an exceptional ensemble performance, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, probably if, if you're taking Jason Bateman out um, from carrying it, I think Tina Fey is kind of the glue that keeps all of the characters um, working you know, and, and being together there, but like, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to find his name. I can't find it. Um, the guy that played, uh, Oh, there he is. Uh, ben Schwartz um, as, as Boner, the, the priest, like you, you probably can't cast a more unlikely priest uh, when you're picking actors to, to play a role, but like somehow he pulls it off. Um, and you want to just kind of disregard him as a secondary, you know, non-important character, but like, it's amazing his interactions with the family. And we all had friends like that, that you, you know, as they grow up and, and find a job and, and all of that, they're doing something that you would never expect them to do. And so you can kind of relate and kind of live back like, Oh, I remember doing this with this guy and why, you know, why they call him boner. And, you know, there's the one scene where, um, I think they're in the church and he's saying this and they go, yeah. Or he said something about memories with the, with those kids. And, 
and uh, one's like, yeah, trying to touch my boobs and the other one's mat- masturbating and doing all that. Like, I mean, just kind of perfect kind of setting the scene of where this kid came from to what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I, again, I, I think when I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes, one of the things that they hold against this movie is the talent in it and saying, if you put this much talent together, um, it needs to shine more. And I just, I guess I completely disagree. Um, it, to me works in in so many ways um it is one of my favorite movies it comes in on my list here it's number two um it bumped a couple things down um it's never it's not going to unseat goodwill hunting for me but this is one of those um rare gems that you just come across and there's something about it that just hits in every way um so yeah it, it it bumped down uh django and it bumped down the town um you know, which were both sitting up there pretty high. So, yeah, obviously, for, for it to be that high on this list, um, you can't find too many things wrong with it, uh, in my opinion, or, you know, too many misses. Uh, there was one moment, Mike, where I do agree with you. Um, it was right as Tina Fey was getting ready to, or she was climbing into bed with, with Jane Fonda and kind of cuddling up. And I was just like, this movie might be a, a smidge long. Um, you know, they're hitting some of the same notes over and over with some of the dysfunction of the family. Um, but I, I mean, I, I still simply wouldn't change anything. Um, so, but there, there was just that, that moment um, of downtime where that, that thought crossed my mind. So uh, yeah, just overall, just very, very well done. Yeah, uh, I mean, if we're going to give an MVP shout out, there is someone who brought all these people together, and that's the director, Sean Levy. And I, you know, we haven't sometimes we do sometimes don't talk about directors, but this is actually pretty wild. So this guy, he got his start directing uh, things from my childhood. Big Fat Liar, one of my favorite childhood movies, Cheaper by the Dozen. Um, that, that's, that's kind of where he broke in the, the night at the museum movies. If you guys remember those with Ben Stiller, um, then he kind of goes on a run, uh, of date night, which was pretty popular at its time, real steel, which I enjoy. Then he does this and you know, his, his career is kind of looking like this is just kind of is what it's going to be. It's going to be maybe these family movies. This isn't necessarily family friendly, but he's kind of got his, his area that he's in. Then right after this comes out. Stranger Things hits. He gets in with the guys at Stranger Things. He's producing Stranger Things. He's helping create it. He directs two episodes every season. And then in this past year, he did Free Guy, which was a massive hit. That's going to end up, that's already got a sequel planned. Him and Ryan Reynolds working together. They also did a Netflix movie called The Adam Project that I enjoyed, which I also enjoyed. Now he's getting Deadpool 3. So this is a pretty wild career trajectory for this guy as a director. I don't know how it just me naming those things, how familiar you, you both are. I mean, as a kid, I loved the cheaper by the dozen movies. I, you know, I, if those are on, I would happily still watch those reflecting back on my childhood and, and the, the role that those played. But the fact that this guy kind of did that stuff, did this movie helped make stranger things. And now he's going to be doing Marvel movies. It's quite the path that he has taken. And this is kind of the change. He did this movie then Stranger Things hit. Now he can kind of do whatever he wants. So this was kind of the last thing before he went nuclear was 
this is where I leave you. And I think it's really impressive. What was his, uh, what was his role with Arrival? Did you say? Is, He's, he, he was a producer on Arrival. Not, I mean, nothing, not a writer's credit, not anything like that. And honestly, when, when you're listed as a producer, you could be the, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who wrote a $10,000 check. Like I, there's no, I mean, I don't know how big of a role he actually played with Arrival. Well, I'll say this much. Uh, I do know a lot of the things that you mentioned there, and I enjoy a lot of the things you mentioned there, but this guy has a fan for life with me. Um, now that I know who he is and that he did this, I'm going to check out other stuff. I, I've enjoyed um, a lot of those things. Free, I'm, you know, Free Guy was, was entertaining, one that I could watch with my son. And um, yeah, I mean, just very impressive career trajectory. And um Maybe right place, right time, but the guy has some talent and has made the right friends. So um, sounds like he's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, and uh, one movie that's on his list that I see that you didn't mention, uh, but that came out the year before this, the internship, which was you know run of the mill Vince Vaughn, Owen Wilson comedy, but it delivered for what it was setting out to do, and it's enjoyable, and it's not going to like you know make me want to talk about it to the degree that this does. But again, I think the sign of a, of a pretty good um, director is somebody who can take what he's given and make it work. And he took that movie, which was written by Vince Vaughn around this concept and made it work and said, hey, I've got these two guys that will play off of each other um, and I can still make an entertaining movie off of this. And then you go the very next year to this and, um, you know, he, he nails this ensemble piece of comedy mixed with real life in a, in a pretty uh, impactful way. Agreed. Um, it, it would be next to impossible to go through filmographies and things like that uh, for all the people in this movie. I think we did a great job of mentioning the people we loved anyway. So do you guys just want to hop into favorite scene? I mean, I think the most humorous scene, I think, was when they had all the family over and the baby monitor was picking up on on the uh, the the intercourse. Um, I think that that was what had me laughing the most. I think that was hilarious. But and I already mentioned it. I think the absolute like the scene that just broke me was when Tina Fey walked over and talked to Timothy Oliphant's character. I know that it doesn't really factor in to the rest of the story as a whole. I get that. But there's just something so heartbreaking about that. And then her kind of describing what that means to her to Jason Bateman later and just being able to be honest with herself about like kind of where her life has gone and the regrets that she has as a person, like I, I didn't expect that scene when it happened. And it, I mean, it really, it got me pretty emotional at the time. And I think that's just going to be the one that sticks with me. So it's just that conversation of him uh, and them kind of talking about their past together. I honestly think was the best scene in the whole movie. Yeah. I, uh, there are a lot of good scenes in this and it's, it is very hard to like pick one and just narrow it down. So I'm gonna, the one that just popped into my head um, was the scene where the you know um, older brother confronts uh, Jason Bateman about uh, hitting on his wife, and then they end up fighting in the front yard, and they're fighting over the hose. And then you've got Adam Driver kind of like rooting it on, then trying to get involved and not. I just I thought that everything in that movie kind of culminated in that scene was seeing all of their different interpersonal uh, interactions, dynamics just the, the facial expressions that you see from all of them. Um, pretty great acting. It felt real. It felt like you could see some crazy stuff like this going down at your own family get together. 
um, where, you know, uh, my, your siblings are fighting or things like that, and maybe not physically, but just the absurdity of it. And so uh, that'll be my favorite scene. I think I'm going to combine two different scenes, um, but it's because um, I really like when even through the dysfunction and the disagreements and everything, when push comes to shove, they come together. Um, and the two I'm going to point out are the the um, smoking the marijuana at the church um, and just, you know, even through that, the craziness of that, the and the hilarity of, of the moment, you know, they still, they stick together. And even their friend, you know, the, the priest who should for every reason, like get them in trouble and be upset with them still is like, Hey, get out of here before the cops come. Um, and that, that swing low sweet chariot when, when they're singing that and he's on that desk dancing, like it just cracks me up. Um, but the second one then is that to combine with it is when they're in the hospital and, and, Tina Fey walks in and, um, you know, kind of breaks up the fight. And then he, Dak Shepard calls her a name and she turns and I'm Wendy Altman, bitch, and pops him in the face. Um, and then she, of course, you know, lays it out there by saying, uh, I forget what she calls him, but then she says, but you're my whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, those, those two scenes combined, I, I'll just say my favorite, but in all honesty, it's, it's beginning to end for me. Yep. Any any specific lines that stood out for you guys? You you mentioned it earlier in the podcast. I think when they're sitting up there and he's just like they're they're on the roof and he's like, "Is this is this just real life? Like, or is anybody happy?" Um, you know. And then he he says, "The kid crapping on the pot is the the happiest one of everybody um it's just real and it's raw and it you know it makes you think but it also you know in good ways makes you appreciate what you do have um and through all of the the ups and downs of life the the it makes you appreciate those ups even more because i'm sure we all have moments in our families that we can relate to in, in similar ways to this film so um yes to answer his question it is real life but yes people are happy and people are sad. So it just, it's the roller coaster that we go through. Um, and that line just really, really points that out. Yeah. A number of lines that I'd point to, um, and honestly they were between Jason Bateman's character, Judd, and then, um, Philip, right. Uh, so Adam driver's character, but the one that just made me chuckle quite a bit, the way it was delivered, um, you know, he pulls up in the car. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm late. You're a dick. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know. And Bateman just goes, your shirt's on inside out. And it's just the way the driver goes that I did not know as he drives off, just yeah. made me chuckle. It was, it was incredibly well delivered. Um, and, you know, not as insightful as the the one that Brad's referencing. And, but at the end of the day, if this is a movie I had seen, you know, as Brad is going to rapidly watching it two times a year in red eye territory here soon, it's so well written that uh, there are a lot of quotable lines in it. And I'm sure that there would be more that are jumping out to me were this not my first viewing. Yeah, I think Mike, I mean, you've slowly convinced me that Adam driver may be the MVP. My, I think my funniest line is. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold, hold on. Before you get into that, you did not mention the real MVP or I should say MVPs. And 
Jane Fonda was carrying them around. So. I was about to. That, were... I was about to mention those MVPs. Oh, because the wow. funniest line. I think the funniest moment is when he shows up at that funeral. <laughs> He's, oh, Boner's a man of God now. I see mom's new tits are present and accounted for. That <laughs> because just the insanity of that moment, like again, it 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 did not feel fake. It felt like, oh dear God, like we're gonna have to talk about this. We're going to have to address this. And that's what I think what made the, the some of the funniest parts of this movie. And Jason Bateman, I think, it is the best straight man in comedy. Because when things start going crazy around him, and this is true in Horrible Bosses and this and any comedy. Is in, when he is the guy that's like, please stop. Please no. Please make this stop. Please. Just the way that he delivers lines like that. Just the more that Jane Fonda talked about her sex life or when she's got the robe on. Jesus, mom, please. No, put the like. It's not that he cusses or the way he, it's just his facial expression, the way he does it, that he just wants some sense of normality and it is not there and he can't handle it. It's so great the way he does that. And yeah, the, the, the fake boobs were fantastic. Um, yeah, well, I think that the most that Jenny laughed the entire time of the, that she watched this was definitely when she was in the basement helping him to make the bed. Yeah. And he was like, I forget what he said. Was it like, came untethered there or something like yeah. that? <laughs> And just she just started dying. <laughs> he's, so yeah, he's like, so calm. He doesn't do it in some crazy yeah, like. Just hey, go just... up there and hopefully you find another find another thing to tie off the robe. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, but then the scene, the perfect one, is when they're sitting Shiva there in that chair, and he just he stares at him for like yes. ten seconds, and the camera stays on him. Like, yeah, he's just almost like, uh, you know, like he's uh, just uh, dumbfounded. Awesome. Um, I do want to say on a, those are all funny. My, I think the best line, the seriousness again, that what makes this real. And it, it's a nugget of wisdom coming from the least, the spot you would least expect it. Um, when Bateman looks at Adam driver and says, I'm going to have to forgive her for the sake of that kid. Aren't I? Mm. And he responds with the line. I would have never thought he would say, I'm no expert, but I think you're going to have to make larger sacrifices down the road. And I think in the hilarity in the craziness of this movie, there's something really poignant about the idea of as bad as you feel, the worst moment is when you're in the middle of the worst moment. The reality is that it's just life and there's going to be another moment tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that's not even factoring in having kids, which I don't know about, but you two do. And there's always going to be something more that you have to address and something more that you have to work through. And there's always going to be another thing and this thing's going to pass and that thing's going to come. And it's just about moving through it. So I thought, you know, he's the idiot brother. He's the nothing, but I'm no expert. I think you're going to have to make larger sacrifices down the road. Uh, I thought was truly the best line of the whole movie. And I think that'll do it guys. Again, Brad, thank you. you. You hit this one out of the park. For, for bringing this to us uh, next week. <clears throat> family drama still going to be on the table. Um, it's going to play out a little bit differently. I will warn everyone there. We're going to be talking a history of violence uh, to wrap up the month of September. Very, very different film. Be prepared for that uh, emotionally, uh, physically, however you have to prepare for that movie. Be, it's a different trip, but this was, this is where I leave you. Other than that guys for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan. We'll see you next time.